decades and uh, has done a phenomenal job there. And one of the things that uh, gives you a clue as to how important he was in their lives, uh, he was often asked by senior classes to speak at their graduation. So it tells you a lot. Uh, Ken has uh, been a worship singer here ever since he came. Uh, even back in the old days, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember, but during the offering there would be a solo. And, um, you know, that we passed a plate around. I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with it. So Ken was one of those stars, but he also sang uh, on the worship team, always tried to make it better, and, and we appreciate that, Ken. That was a lot of time, especially after coaching long hours, to come and practice and then to serve on Sundays. And then uh, two years, uh, Ken filled in as our worship leader, and so he had Chris's position, and um, really, really appreciate that, uh, the way that you led the body, and that was some of my most fun time with you, getting to have dinner once a week and uh, uh, process life and talk about uh, worship for the church family. So um, thank you for your service uh, to us as well. Um, would you mind standing as well, Ken, so everybody can see you again? <laughs> Thank you both for serving the Lord here at uh, Counter Bible Church, and, and we love you as a church family, and we're going to miss you. Okay. So we're done now. We're done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did you on the 28th. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so personally, I, I told you this the, at the, on the 28th, that um, um, you've been a very good friend and that your uh, smile lights up the room and that uh, I appreciate um, your integrity in loving the children and, and serving them, whatever that meant. A lot of it was generated, uh, a lot of your curriculum was generated through personal Bible study. And uh, I appreciate your approach to that, to your study of it. I really like that you are a lifelong learner. And so I mentioned that, uh, uh, I saw it in all kinds of ways. I think I mentioned that Friday night that um, uh, I was always intrigued by the very uh, wonderful books you were reading that when your uh, children were going through their discipleship training in college and uh, reading along with them, you always had good books anyway. Um, you uh, went to a lot of conferences and uh, as a, willing to learn more about how to best serve the the children, and uh, and then you would glean things. You, you wouldn't try to just copy exactly what they were doing in a conference, but you would glean whatever you could. And one that sticks out for me is the the Child Evangelism Fellowship, um, where they had their own curriculum and everything else, which we didn't use. But uh, you really grasped their way of bringing the gospel into every um, Bible. Uh, lesson and I thought that was really neat and you took the time to train others here uh, how to do that um, I, I said this uh, on the Friday night deal one of the one of the behind-the-scenes things is that Mary uh, did a lot of writing for us announcements and emails and texts and things like that to uh, communicate to the church family we would let her write everything and then we would edit out all the seven syllable words that she used because of her <laughs> appropriate and correct. <laughs> but um, you have a quirky way of talking, you know? <laughs> and, and we loved it. Um, I think that um, one of the things that I've always loved about you is you, you had part-time pay and you had a full-time attitude. Uh, you were all in all the time and uh, just willing to give and do whatever you could to further the children's ministry here. Uh, you worked hard to accommodate needs of individual children, and uh, a lot of our families are very appreciative of that, including mine. Um, <laughs> And I think uh, more than anything else, you worked hard to create a culture of uh, loving the children and not only loving them, but making sure that they knew that uh, Jesus loved them 
and that they could understand that and believe it. They could trust him and give their lives to him and uh, that they were safe with you and the, the uh, leaders here. And um, I really appreciate that culture of love and grace uh, for our children and our children's families. Um, you're gracious with uh, teachers um, and you've just given us a great culture on which to build uh, for our next hire. So uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Did you want to say anything? <laughs> Except thanks for letting me do this. Great. Okay. Well, let's give Mary. <laughs> And we do have one last parting gift. Uh, we gave you some gifts on the 28th and the church family has. And uh, this is one last one from the church family and the church you leadership. Like you loud, right? No, you don't have to. <laughs> you, you, can, you can take it with you. But what we are gonna do, I'm, we're gonna go over here so we can join Ken and Bill. And we're gonna, I'm gonna pray over uh, Ken and Mary and, and Bill and uh, Brad and, and Dick as elders are going to join me. So if you guys would join us just where you are and, and pray for them um, as they head out. And I guess I, I wasn't real clear on why we're doing this. Uh, they're moving to West Texas. They're moving to Coleman and they leave Tuesday. The Lord worked everything out in terms of selling their home and all the details. And you can just imagine how the Lord has gone before them because you know what all that takes. And uh, so we would be praying for safe travels and for the transition and friendships out there. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for uh, Ken and Mary and Bill. Uh, we are just in awe of uh, the way you can use people, the way you can use any of us. And we thank you for Bill and his uh, long-term service to you here. And thank you for the way he chose to uh, make the school better, the way he chose to make it work with the church. And I thank you for his investment in people, whether he was teaching or discipling or mentoring Thank you for his service on the, the caregivers and the years that he spent uh, just loving on people and making sure that they knew you loved them and uh, to meet needs that way. And we thank you for Ken and for the incredible voice that you've given him. Thank you that he didn't just hold that to himself and that he uh, served your body with it. We thank you for his love for us and his leadership, uh, especially uh, the years that he filled in as worship leader. And we thank you for Mary and uh, for her great love of you. I thank you, Lord, that each one of these individuals pursue you. And uh, I pray for uh, Mary especially as she gives up all the relationships that she's so intimately tied to here, whether it's the youngest of the children or the oldest of the parents. I uh, thank you for the way that she has invested uh, in each of us here. We thank you for their friendship. Thank you for their willingness to be transparent and to love us, to get engaged with us at the, the heart level. And we thank you, Lord, for letting us see what you have done in their lives and what you've exposed us through, through uh, what you've done through their lives. And we thank you for the way that you've impacted our lives through them. So we pray for this transition. We thank you for all that you've done so far with the house, the, the packing. Uh, thank you for the... Um, help of the kids, uh, their kids with them, and we pray for this travel, uh, pray for the closing to go smoothly on Tuesday and the travel and uh, the adjustments. Uh, Lord, as they uh, head to Coleman and uh, go to a place that they know and love, and, and we pray for Ken's uh, work out there to, to go smoothly and for relationships to be built, and we pray that you would give them friends in Coleman uh, with whom they can uh, share a love of Jesus and friends that they can share Jesus with. And we pray that you would continue to protect and provide them in the greatest of ways. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Okay, we're going to dismiss uh, Sunshine Kids Club. Kindergarten through grade five heads out that door uh, for their time of worship. And if you're a guest with us, feel free to walk out with them and uh, get to see their location and their uh, staff. You'll be picking them up out there. And before Mary runs away, you're my introduction, so you can't leave. No, I think when I think of Mary, one word does come to mind, and it's being an, an encourager. And you, I think, set a precedent on how we can be better encouragers. And that is what I want to talk about this morning, is how to one day someone to stand up and say, you were an encouragement to me. And I think all of us could say that about you, that you were an encouragement. Um, and now I guess you can go, because, you know. <laughs> now, okay. <laughs> But yeah, I, I want to be a better encourager. Now, I understand no one in here is probably going, you know, I'm good. I'm as encouraging as I want to be. And in fact, I'd like to be less encouraging. I know that's not a thing. But at the same time, some people like Mary, um, it seems to come so naturally. And, and for the rest of us, we have to work at it. Uh, we have to overcome some things. And so I, when I look in scripture, I see some great examples of encouraging people. Um, and, and when I think about what it means to be an encourager, like Mary, like those that have been an encouragement to me, uh, a, a characteristic comes to mind. And I, and I think in order to be a good encourager, you have to have an acute awareness of other people and their needs. That, that seems to be the thing that, that holds me back sometimes as I, as I just think about my needs. And I, I have an acute awareness of me. Um, but encouraging people see others. They see the needs of others, and they, 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 they seek to meet those needs. And we're going to begin a couple weeks of looking at men of the Bible. And, and the one guy that really stands out as an encourager is Barnabas. And many of you probably are already knowing that's the direction I was going to take us. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at uh, the person of Barnabas as being uh, a really encouraging person, uh, someone that we can look at like a person like Mary and think, how can I learn how to be an encourager uh, based on the life of Barnabas? And now Barnabas is one of those guys that uh, he is all over the place in the book of Acts and the story of the early church, but yet he's never the prominent person. He, he's, his name is mentioned more than any other, you could say, second tier person that's not, you know, Peter or Paul or James or John. Uh, he's always seems to be on location at a critical point in the history of the church. When there's some major development, Barnabas is the one behind the person, behind the church, uh, encouraging and supporting. Now, Luke seems to really have a high regard for him. Uh, we're going to see in uh, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, we're going to see in Luke or in Acts 4 that he gives Barnabas a very healthy description and introduction. So I want to start there. Open up with me to Acts 4. We're going to be uh, in a few places in the, in the book of Acts as we look at the story of Barnabas this morning. But if you remember what Acts 4 is all about, it's shortly after the, the Holy Spirit had come and, and had stirred up the church and Peter had given that first sermon and thousands of people decide to follow after Jesus. Well, that came at a time when there were a lot of people displaced. They, they had been Jews visiting, uh, as they call the diaspora, they had, they, Jews that had been all over the place, all over the known world, uh, come back for that Passover time. And then a whole bunch of them hear Peter, learn about Jesus, decide to follow him. And now they have this not only a very young church full of a lot of young Christians, but they're all far from home. So that's a lot of needs. And so a, a, a whole new idea of giving and generosity sprung up, um, of, of selling things, you know, the locals maybe selling things to support others. And so uh, starting in verse 34, you see this description of the early church. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now we, so that, that was what was kind of, that was the atmosphere, but all of a sudden, Luke decides to put a spotlight on Barnabas, and, and somehow his action and his character and his person is someone that, that Luke says, we need to pay, pay special attention to Barnabas. So he's going to introduce him in verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, 
He's going to say what he's going to do in a second, but I want to pause because here we get an introduction, right? And I have a map to put up to give us a little idea of of some of the area we're talking about. This morning, we're going to bring up four places, and I have those underlined for us. But these first two are given. They're in Jerusalem, this early church. The scene we're given is in Jerusalem, but he speaks of Barnabas as being from Cyprus, an island off the coast, right? So, uh, he's a Levite. He's a, 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 of the tribe of, of Levites in the nation of Israel. But he apparently was one of these whose family had been spread out. So we don't know when Barnabas came to Christ, but it must have been early on for him to already be at a place of, of recognition in the, in the church by the apostles. In fact, we learn here that it's not even his real name. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Barnabas is not his name. His name is Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas. He was literally called encourager, in fact, comforter. In fact, this is the same word, it's similar to the same word that Jesus in the book of John describes the Holy Spirit when he says, I will send you the comforter, the paraclete that'll come alongside you. That's the same word that's used to describe the son of encouragement or Barnabas. He's entering into the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we all do when we come alongside someone in encouragement. Barnabas apparently did this so well that that became his nickname. That's right there. I think we could stop and and consider and then think, wow. Now, back then, the reason it's kind of confusing when it comes to names, and and I guess this, I know this was at least a generation ago with my my parents, my grandparents. Uh, If you've ever been to a, a family funeral and you knew the person by a certain name, And then you find out there was this whole segment of people that knew him by this whole other name. And then over here, there was a whole, like all of his school friends called him Pete. And then you knew him as Jeff. And and it just didn't make any sense. Well, it was very similar to back then. There was a whole lot of Josephs, a whole lot of Judases, a whole, you know, it's like they had certain number of names, family names. And so if you have a whole bunch of those in the family, you come up with nicknames based on their character, or it depended on who they were speaking to. It was a work name. Or it was the home name, or it was the name that all the grandparents called you. And so here you see his name being Joseph, yet they chose to call him by his character, encourager. So then in verse 37, you see that Barnabas, now like everyone else, had decided to enter into this act of generosity, but somehow his act is given a spotlight. We're told that Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it's the first highlight that I want to point out on how to be a better encourager is an understanding uh, that an encourager, an encouraging person lives generously. That seems to be a a general state of being that we understand that I can use my time, treasure, and talent to meet the needs of other people. Now, we know that he wasn't the only one doing this. And we also know that Jesus said, when you give, don't make a big deal of it. Now, this is not Barnabas saying, hey, hey, Luke, you know, I know a lot of other people are doing this, but if you could just mention, you know, that, that, that wouldn't seem to go along with Barnabas, Barnabas's character. But I think that the magnitude of the fact that he, he went uh, to his, his family's inheritance land in Cyprus, sold, sold this, brought it back. Think about the travel back then and all the all that had to go on to it. He recognized a need. He recognized that he could, he could meet that need and, and through his generosity, encouraged others. So if I want to be a better encouraging person, I need to recognize that there are times when I can meet a need through my generosity. I need to live generously. Now, this was a, a critical time in the church when there was a lot of people and a lot of needs and they were building up and kind of getting organized. And then, and then people all started to, go out and, and wander away, and things started happening, and, and, and the Rome, Roman officials started noticing this church was, was, was gaining momentum, and they didn't like that, and, and the, the old school Jews didn't like that it didn't go away when they, when they persecuted and killed Jesus. And so we, we know the story that persecution began to arise, and then a, a, a guy named Saul comes on the scene. And shortly after that, we know that Saul... Uh, was on his way to persecute more Christians when Jesus introduces himself and knocks him down, blinds him. We know that Saul comes to Jesus at that point. 
Well, what maybe you didn't know is that there's actually a three-year gap between when Saul has that conversion experience and when he decides to finally try to officially get involved with this movement and, and travels to Jerusalem and, and tries to join in with the work of the apostles. It's three years of essentially being rejected by his old crowd and doubted by the new crowd. Three years of being on his own. Three years of really probably meditating on his mistakes, on his failures, on how he could have just gotten it so wrong and missed Jesus altogether, missed the Messiah. Well, the next place that we pick up on the story of Barnabas is that point in Saul's life. Probably a very discouraging point. We're going to flip on over a few pages to Acts 9, verse 26. So Saul decides he is going to go to Jerusalem. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. Now, this is three years of him being not only a believer, but going out and preaching. So you can see that he had developed quite a reputation, that he had yet to overcome this new life. And that the apostles themselves, the ones that were leading the church in Jerusalem, leading thousands of new believers, were still afraid of him. And he was... I imagine, discouraged, hoping to come to Jerusalem and be a part of this church. And he was kind of told, stay outside. They did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road of Damascus he had preached, uh, how he had seen the Lord and spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. We once again see Barnabas step in as an encourager on the behalf of Saul. And once again, we learn a little bit about what it means to be an encouraging person, that an encouraging person is an advocate. It's an advocate. What does it mean to be an advocate? An advocate speaks up for someone that doesn't have a voice. An advocate steps in the gap for someone that has been forgotten or pushed aside. I, uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I were at uh, Six Flags in San Antonio. And uh, some of you heard the story of that day. It did not go well. But it started in classic family fashion. We had, uh, we had you know, been provided with uh, these uh, the meal plans. You know, you can go and then you, your meals are paid for and everything. But nothing's free, right? So they make you show up and they make you stand in line to get the bracelet. It was a 45-minute line just to get the bracelet to go, go out and wait in line to get the food and all that stuff. We know how all that goes. You can hear my frustration already. <laughs> but in this particular story, we, we show up. First thing we do, we get in line. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. We finally get up to the front of that line, and Sawyer chooses at that moment, which Sawyer is my 8-year-old uh, son. Or he, they're twins, um, Stella and Sawyer, if you, if you haven't met them. They're the... The, you know, I know twins are inherently a little creepy, but they're the ones that you see running around that are just attached and um, can't, can't speak for themselves. And he decides at that moment to, to, you know, get rid of all food that he had taken in that day. And we're, you know, I'm not the most patient person when it comes to lines. And so I finally got up there. I'm frustrated with the inept, you know, inefficiency of the system. And, and the fact that this is just the best they could come up with. And I'm, and I'm, you know, trying to get our things and our cups and doing all this stuff. And then that happens. And I'm like, really? This is when you chose to throw up. Like, he had a choice. But I mean, it's just in my mind, like, you couldn't have waited five minutes. You know. What, what was amazing to me was everybody else in line. How would you react in that moment? And this is COVID season, right? You're like, somebody gets sick right in front of you. Not that that has anything to do with it, but... They just stood there and acted like it never happened. And, and, we're, and I go to the lady, hey, could I get something? You know, my son, she hands me one little napkin, <laughs> continues, and I'm like, what is this, you know? In that moment, there's a woman that had been standing behind Angela and walks up to her, kind of whispers in her, it's going to be okay. She has a little fanny pack, pulls it open, and it has like everything we could possibly need <laughs> in that situation. And she proceeds to help us clean up, tells us it's going to be okay, it's all fine, this happens. 
You know, it's not the first time we've had a kid throw up in a scenario, but it's, and that's, you, you, you feel a sense of helplessness. Like, does anyone else not notice that this is going on? And this woman advocated on our behalf and, and stepped into that gap and, 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 and became a voice. And pretty soon there are, you know, we're getting the attention of other employees and an actual someone with an actual mop bucket and things that are helpful in, in the moment. And I began to notice that this woman was wearing a particular shirt. It was, it was a bright pink shirt and it said, you know, awesome since like 1982 or something. And I thought it was a family reunion, you know, you see, because there was a bunch of them everywhere. And I was thinking, wow, that's quite a family. Um, but I started to notice the people that were wearing these shirts and the people that were with them. And pretty soon we, we came to understand these were, this is a group of special needs kids and advocates that were there with them. This woman already was an advocate for those that often get kind of left and put to the side. And so it was in her nature to be encouraging and step up for someone that she recognizes has a need. And so in a moment where we were suddenly really discouraged, we at least could walk away and go, okay, we were able to handle that. We were able to move on. And he was still able to have, you know, as fun a day as he could have at Six Flags that day because someone was an encouragement to us. And when I look at the story and think about what Barnabas uh, saw in Saul in that moment, to step in and, and recognize that, hey, for three years, he's been going out trying to preach the gospel and no one is recognizing what is going on in his life. And so he steps in and all he does is say the same exact thing that Paul's been saying. What I find intriguing about Barnabas is never do we get to hear a quote from Barnabas. He's just saying what other people have said, or it says that he directs other people to do something, but we never get quotation, Barnabas said this. He speaks the same words that Paul had been saying, but because Barnabas recognized that he was in a position to come alongside Saul, speak for him, the result, he went out and among them and preached boldly. Suddenly Saul had a boldness to go out and preach, whereas a few verses earlier, he was not accepted. So I think an encouraging person needs to be an advocate. Now, a few chapters later in chapter 11, we see one of the next major developments in the story of the church. You see, as Saul, before he became a Christian, led the way in persecution in Jerusalem, suddenly people were kind of going all over the place. They had to get out of town. And so as Christians and as some of the disciples spread out, then of course, naturally, those in Samaria and, and in Gentile cities started to become Christians and churches started to be planted. Well, in Jerusalem, some of the mother church folks, the, the Jewish Christians started to be a little concerned that one, they, I think, didn't have a scope or view of the idea that the gospel was for everyone. They were still being directed by the Holy Spirit to get over some of their prejudices. But when they started to hear stories that Gentiles were coming to Christ, that Samaritans were coming to Christ, and in fact, they hear about this work happening in Antioch, they decide to get involved. And so I want to pick this up in verse 19 of chapter 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, and he was one of the uh, deacons that they had uh, ordained to serve and had been martyred, one of the early martyrs of Christianity, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus in Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So right there we see even though they had been kicked out and been motivated to go spread the gospel elsewhere, they still were being very selective in who they worked with. So some only wanted to talk to Jews. And I think Luke is making that point there because he's about to transition. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why? Why would they pick Barnabas? Out of all the people they could have chosen, why him? Think about the reputation he must have developed by being an encourager that they thought, okay, this is a this is a, a, you know, we're on the edge of a knife here. The church is at a turning point. Who we send now d directs the trajectory of, of the way the church is going to go. So they send Barnabas. What if they had sent someone that was not as encouraging at that moment in time? 
Someone that's more described as a wet blanket. Someone that might walk in and say, okay, you know, it's great that, you know, you guys are doing this, but we need to have a little control here. We need to kind of clamp down. I don't know about all these Gentile, you know, like this is a Jewish thing, you know, and, and, and really start to just walk in and, you know, you've been around someone like that, that you're all excited about what's going on and they walk in and say, now settle down. I know you think this is a big deal, but, you know, and someone begins to try to, to, to frame it in their version of reality. But no, they send Barnabas, the most encouraging person they could find. And the exact opposite happens. And the Lord, the hand of the Lord is with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, this was his response. He saw the grace of God, and he rejoiced. And he encouraged them. All to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So once again, we see Luke, the author of Acts, had a high view of Barnabas. Because of how he responded, how he got alongside new believers, and it didn't matter whether they were Jewish believers or Gentile believers or Samaritan believers, he was going to get behind them. He was once again going to come alongside them, just like the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember that related word of coming alongside, of being a helper, a comforter. And he's going to give them purpose. Here's the next thing I think we can learn based on how he reacted to these people is that if I want to become an encouraging person, I need to celebrate other people. I need to be, to celebrate what God is doing, to celebrate when I see God at work, to be their cheerleader. That's what Barnabas did. He stepped in and said, wow, God is doing something in your midst. Continue to do it. He said, continue, and he encouraged them or exhorted them to be faithful to what God had called them to do. So instead of walking in saying, settle down, let's get our hands around this, let's get some structure involved in this, he said, this is great, keep going, keep running, keep moving. And a great number of people were added to the Lord. He encouraged them by giving them a purpose. Encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. How encouraging is it when someone walks into you, your life and recognizes God's action in your life and saying, God is behind this. Keep going in this. God is giving you direction on where you should go. That, that celebrating what God is doing is a very encouraging thing. And I think an encouraging person celebrates other people. But we also see that although he had opportunity to build up a church and call it the Church of Barnabas, he chose to do something completely different. Verse 25, so after all this excitement, after he had seen what God was doing, he decides to leave. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, I have that, I have that map. I want to throw the map up again real quick before we continue in our discussion of that, of that verse. So up at the very top, you see Tarsus. And if you, if you know your Bibles and you remember Paul, Saul, same person, is from Tarsus. Jerusalem for a few years. Well, he apparently at some point made his way back up to his hometown, and he was trying to get into the business of ministry to the Gentiles. This was eight years ago. And I know sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we forget the amount of time between chapters, because when you read the story, it just jumps and jumps and jumps. But he became a Christian. Three years later, he goes to Jerusalem when Barnabas speaks up for him. Then eight years later, Barnabas goes to get him from Tarsus. We don't know what went on in Tarsus, but I can guess by the silence of it. Now, there's no first and second Tarsus. He didn't write a letter back to Tarsus. We do know in Corinthians, he speaks of all the hardship he developed in the early years. And some of the descriptions he gives, we don't see anywhere else. So there's a lot of people that think a lot of those things, the hardship was those eight years of really hard work in Tarsus. And if you've ever tried to break ground in a new garden or been a farmer in a, in a hard packed ground, you know, so much work is spent just taking out the rocks and, and, and it's just tiring. You, you never get any fruit and you're just every day just digging and digging and getting through that hard ground. It can be very discouraging work. 
So what we surmise is that Barnabas is in the middle of just an explosion of faith in Antioch. And he's given an opportunity to lead this brand new church. And it was going to be the, the next mega church. And his first thought, I know a guy. I know a guy that needs to be here. I know a guy that God has put his hand upon him. And right now he is struggling to have a ministry to Gentiles. And so he runs up from Antioch to Tarsus and brings him back. Verse 26 again. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That was a label given by those not in the church when they recognized that there was this whole group of people that were little Christians. They were Christ followers. So this term Christian was applied to them. And it's an interesting pattern we see from this point on. And, and it, it, is, it is the last thing I want to point out of what it means to be an encourager of how Barnabas took the time to go up and bring Saul from, from fruitless, difficult labor years over 12 years since he had become a Christian and brought him down to a place where just the low-hanging fruit was so easy to gather up, they, they needed bigger baskets. Imagine the encouragement that Saul felt to be able to come down and be a part of that, and then for a whole year, Barnabas worked with him. And so we see our last thing. If, if I want to be an encouraging person, I want to set other people up for success. An encouraging a person sets other people up for success. You... you you see an opportunity and you think, this is great, I get to be a part of that, but who else? Who else could I bring along? Who else could really be encouraged by being a part of this? And this one act changed the trajectory of the church. Because from here on out, you see Barnabas and Saul together. And you see it always worded that way. Barnabas and Saul did this. Barnabas and Saul did that. And then all of a sudden, there's this shift where he's now referred to as Paul. And now it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas had the opportunity to have the top billing and chose instead to encourage Saul. Now, the, the, if you've grown up in the church, you, you always think of, well, Saul changed his name when he became a believer. That's not really accurate. Again, there's been 12 years. It wasn't, the name Paul was not meant to indicate his new life. Uh, as we saw with Joseph, most people had different names. And in fact, when it comes to the Saul-Paul thing, Saul was his Hebrew name when he was with Hebrews. Paul was his Gentile name, just simply means little. Maybe that was how he saw himself in the Gentile crowd. And he walked in with humility. The reason why that's so important is because he had sought to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And it was going nowhere. And he was discouraged. But after his interaction with Barnabas in Antioch, you see him take on this new name. And you see now Luke refers to him as Paul from here on out. He had embraced God's calling in his life and recognized that now he could see success and he could move forward. He was truly becoming the apostle to the Gentiles once Barnabas, the encourager, stepped up behind him and said, you can do this. And he set him up for a success. And so through the life of Barnabas, I see really five things just in review that I want to look at of what, it, what does it look like for me to be an encouraging person, to be a better encouraging person. And the first one is that I really want to evaluate where I am now. Are my words and are my actions encouraging to other people? I have to start there. You know, make an honest evaluation. I, or the last, I don't know, year or so, it's been really a focus of mine to say, okay, when I walk into a situation, I want to say an encouraging thing. I want to do an encouraging thing. Because as I said at the beginning, some like Mary comes naturally. Some of us, we got some hurdles to get over. And it takes a little intentionality. So I want to evaluate that. The second one as I think about what it looks like to be an encouraging person, is identify one way that I can encourage others with my generosity. Identify one way that I can encourage others with my generosity. That was a characteristic of the church from the point at which Barnabas sold a field, to recognize the fact that we as Christians are not under an obligation to give a certain percentage, but instead to live out in a spirit of generosity to, to say that God has blessed me and I'm going to bless other people through it and I'm going to encourage others. 
Maybe there was someone in your life that you think, I have an ability and I can give my time or I can give my treasure. The third thing is I want to identify one person that I can be an advocate. Who out there in your life has kind of been pushed aside, lost his voice, lost her voice and is discouraged? And you can step in and draw them in as Barnabas did with Saul. The fourth one is develop the habit of celebrating. Celebrating. Now, this has really taken a lifetime for me. When I, when I was young and, and, and uh, I had a teacher that gave me the nickname, talking about nicknames, you'd, the exact opposite. He always called me Puddleglum. And if you're a Narnia fan, you know who Puddleglum is, not the son of encouragement. In every situation, I would be like looking for the negative. That is going to be horrible, you know. I didn't, have, I didn't exactly have a positive outlook on most things. He had to kind of shake me a little bit. Say, stop being so negative. Start to celebrate when someone's doing something, when God is doing something. And then finally, in every opportunity, ask, is there someone that could benefit by being a part of this? This is awesome that God has led me to this opportunity, but who else could I draw into this? Maybe it'll change their life. Maybe it'll change the world. Because that's what happened when Barnabas drew in Paul. Let's pray. God, we just praise you for being such an encouraging God to us. You did not leave us alone. In fact, Jesus said, I go and I'm going to send the comforter. And now we have the option with the Holy Spirit within us to be that to other people, to come alongside others, be an encouragement. I pray that you would strengthen us, give us those words, give us those actions, help us to have an acute awareness of the needs of other people, of those that have been pushed aside, of those that are discouraged. What can I say and do in their life to encourage them, to be an encourager? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
Just as I am, my love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yes, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I
for being with us today um you i hope you have a good week and i guess after all this time i can finally let everybody know that we're related <laughs> you and me yeah. that's it <laughs> see you guys